This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Uh, you know, we, we started last week talking about the, talking about the Lord's Supper. And um, man, I got so much this week. And uh, I, I'll, just, I'll just be transparent with you for a second. I, um, like, not like I'm not normally. But... Um, in this whole thing, y'all know I like being, I, I like having everything, you know, straightforward and organized, and I like having my three or, or four points and whatever else, and man, I don't have that this week. And I, I believe, I'll be completely honest, it, it, it feels a little scattered, but I see where it's going, and I, I believe in relation to what we were talking about earlier, about freedom, I, I, believe, I believe the Lord wants to minister something special this morning. And so, um, let's pray real quick. Lord, I just thank you for what you've already done here this morning. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is here just sweeping through this place. And uh, Lord, I thank you that you are everything that we need. And I, Lord, today I just ask that you would just give us a fresh revelation of the blood and the body of Jesus. Lord, I just ask for freedom, ask for deliverance, pray for revelation that we would never be the same. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, real quickly, I want to I recap from last week. Uh, we started talking about communion. Yeah, we, we, we know about this. Most of us taking communion our whole life, right? We know it's the bread and the, the, bread and the juice, the, the body and the blood. And, uh, you know, really, I think that most of us, at least at some point, have gotten to a place where, in our lives at certain times, where it just it, it wasn't a big deal anymore. It had become ordinary and commonplace. And, I mean... My goodness, as a church, the Church of the Harvest, we, we, we do it once a month or so, right? All's good. Yeah, we took communion. Wait, oh, that was three weeks ago. We got, you know, maybe, maybe next week. Uh, I went through and I, I gave you a few early instances back in, uh, in where we first see in Genesis chapter 14 where Melchizedek blesses Abraham and it says that he brought him bread and wine. Um, we then talked about in Genesis chapter 26. Um, it didn't mention the bread and wine specifically, but it talks about how whenever they cut covenant, um, the two parties would come together for a covenant meal together. Uh, we talked about the, about the tabernacle. Uh, when God instituted the tabernacle, he had the, the table of showbread. The, the table of showbread wasn't fancy bread. It, was, it actually meant face-to-face is what, what the word actually showbread meant. And it meant they were coming face-to-face with the Lord. They, the priests would come before the table of showbread. They would take of the, of the bread. They would drink of the drink offering, which they called the blood of grapes, before they went into the presence of the Lord. And this was way before Jesus. This was way, 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 way before the Last Supper, right? And then we're talking about Passover. I'm not, I don't want to spend much time on that because I'm going to talk about that a little bit more today. But we know that God commanded the people in the Old Testament, that he re- commanded them to observe Passover. Uh, it was also called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And we know that they would sacrifice an animal from their herd, the shedding of blood, and they would eat bread without yeast. And then we were talking about, um, obviously, Jesus Jesus introduced communion, and we know that when he did that, and we know that night, that was the first day of Passover. So, if you're like me, we tend to think that, especially if you grew up in the church, we tend to think that we know all about this, and, uh, you know, maybe we've taken communion monthly, or maybe even weekly, our entire lives, and I think many times we forget the real value of it. I told you last week, communion is the Eucharist. 
And if you're from a Catholic or Lutheran background or something, you're familiar with the word Eucharist. But it's not a Catholic term. It's a, it was a Greek word. It is a Greek word, uh, which was Eucharisteo, which, which was just translated. When Jesus blessed the bread, broke it, and handed it to them, it was called, it was Eucharisteo. Communion is the Eucharist. Jesus is the Eucharist. And we know, uh, I took you guys to 1 Corinthians where Paul was writing to the church in Corinth and corrected them because of the way they were taking the Lord's Supper. Now, I want to reemphasize, I think I said this last week, but they took it every time they came together. They would share a meal together and they would start it by taking of the bread and the wine, observing the body and blood of Jesus. But we know that Paul gets on to them, right? Because some weren't observing the body and blood of Jesus. They were running ahead because they were hungry and they were getting drunk on the wine and they weren't observing the body and blood. I gave you, um, we had three questions we answered last week. The first one was, is the Eucharist a symbol? We said, yes, obviously. It represents Jesus as the sacrificed lamb, his death. The bread representing his body broken for us. The juice representing his blood poured out for us. And I gave you the example of it, you know, as, as a symbol of if you were walking and you found a stop sign knocked over in the mud, you probably wouldn't care much. Because it's a city's responsibility. But many of us, if we saw in that same walk, if we saw an American flag down in the mud, we would be shocked. And some of us would pick it up and we'd want to do something about it. Why? Because it's a symbol and it represents something. It represents people laying down their lives for our freedom. In the same way, the communion represents somebody laying down their life for us to give us more than freedom. So yes, communion is a symbol, but how much weight does it carry for you? The second question I answered last week was, is the Eucharist more than a symbol? And, you know, obviously, it's, it's more than a tasteless piece of bread and, and you know, and a, a sip of grape juice. Uh, I was talking to you guys about how when we press into worship, this is a physical act. Some of us lift our hands. You may dance around like Lauren was doing this morning. You may bow down to the ground, whatever it is. You may do this physical act in worship, but there's something bigger happening in the Spirit. We can't see it. We can't picture it. We don't know exactly what it looks like, but we know that something's happening. It's the same way when we remember the body and blood of Jesus, something bigger is happening in the Spirit. Amen? I give you guys, we were reading from uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29. It says, For continually eating and drinking with the wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. It goes on to say that people were sick and dying because of their misuse of communion in the Bible. How could this happen if it was just a symbol? It was obviously something more, Right? Um, and then we talked about the road to Emmaus, about how you got these two followers of Jesus that are walking along, and they don't even recognize who he is until he gets into their home to them. Blesses bread, breaks it, and hands it to them. Suddenly their eyes are open, and Jesus was revealed to them. And I was mentioning to you guys that I think many times we experience this in our lives, in our churches. We go about the Christian life as we know it, but it's become ordinary and commonplace, and we don't recognize that Jesus is right there. He's right there trying to engage us. And we feel like we're doing everything right. Just like on the road to Emmaus, he's walking with a Christian brother. They're talking about Jesus. But they don't recognize that he's right there trying to be part of the conversation. The last question I ask you is, what is my part? We talked about prying our fingers from the earthly. What's your priorities? Talked about when people say they're not worthy, and we we dug into that. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more today, so I don't want to spend much time in it, but we know that what we got down to was when Paul's talking about worthy, it talks about, is Jesus in you? Have you accepted the invitation to render your life to Christ, recognizing and revering his body and blood? So I want to continue on, and I want to take this a step further today. And, and uh, also in your service guide, there should have been a note sheet, and I invite you guys, you can follow along with the note sheet in your service guide. Also, if you have the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app on your mobile device, you can follow along, and you'll find uh, the notes are, uh, are in there as well.
So in taking this a step further, you know, we, we take of communion, we take of the body and blood of Jesus, and I think that we immediately think about the price that Jesus paid, right? I mean, we're talking about his body that was torn, we're talking about his blood that was shed. So we immediately think about the price that was paid for our salvation and our freedom from sin. Is anybody thankful for that? So clearly, sin is the central outcome of man's fall in the garden, right? But how many of you know that other consequences followed? It wasn't just sin. It may have been resulted from sin, but there were other consequences that followed as well with Adam and Eve when they sinned. Now, two weeks ago, how many of you were here two weeks ago when we had our healing conference? I want to dig into that a little minute, a little here a bit as we go into this message, but how many of you recognize that sickness and disease didn't exist before the fall? We don't see a day where Adam's taking a day off from naming the animals because he's got a sinus infection. True? There's no indication that sickness existed. And as you go on throughout the Old Testament, you see God establishes himself early on as the healer. As a matter of fact, Exodus 15, 26, second book of the Bible, he says, For I am the Lord who heals you. So obviously after the fall, sickness is one of those consequences that comes about. And we see that God almost immediately establishes, establishes himself as the healer of his people. A few Old Testament examples. When, how many of you remember when Abraham prays for Abimelech, that his wife and his maidservants would be able to conceive children? It's one of the first examples we see. Abraham prays to the Lord on behalf of Abimelech. And sure enough, his wife and his maidservants conceive children. We see, how many of you remember when Moses cries out for Miriam because she has leprosy? She'd been struck with leprosy. How many of you remember Moses prayed and Miriam was healed? King Hezekiah was killed. He was healed of an incurable disease because of prayer. There's many more examples through the Old Testament of God being the healer. We know in the New Testament, Jesus comes and Jesus brings deliverance. And I was looking, there's in, the, in the four Gospels, there's three levels of, of Jesus' deliverance, the deliverance that he brought in ministry. And I don't think this is in your notes. Actually, I'm not sure if it is or not. But, um, but three levels of Jesus' deliverance ministry. One, miracles of physical healing. We know that Jesus went around physically healing people, healing their physical bodies, right? In Matthew 8, 16, he says he healed all who were sick. Secondly, Miracles of casting out evil spirits. Jesus went around casting out demons. It says in Mark 134, he cast out many demons. And then the third thing was creative miracles. Y'all know what a creative miracle is? In Luke 22:51, we see um, Peter, I guess he thinks he's doing the right thing as he cuts off the right ear of the servant of the high priest. We don't see any indication that Jesus goes down and he picks up the ear and tries to reattach it. Jesus just puts his hand on the guy. And it says he's healed. I believe he grew an ear. In about two seconds, bam, he had an ear. Creative miracle, right? But when we think about salvation, when we focus on salvation through the sufferings of Jesus, 
Because that's what we generally focus on in communion. We focus on salvation. When we focus on that, what does salvation actually mean? The word salvation, if you look at it where it's used in Scripture, it not only means to save from sin, but it means to deliver. It means to protect. It means to spiritual well-being. How many of you know that God isn't just concerned with our spiritual well-being? God wants us to have physical and even emotional wellness as well. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Everybody say completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what does the word blameless mean here? We look at other versions, the other versions say whole, that your entire being may be whole. Some say complete, some say fit. Let me read it to you from the, the Passion Translation. It says, now may the God of peace and harmony set you apart, making you completely holy. And may your entire being, spirit, soul, and body be completely flawless. How many of you love the idea of that? Be completely flawless in the appearing of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. When Jesus went to the cross, the price was paid for salvation. But there was so much more to that salvation, I think, than we like to give credit for. We think of forgiveness of sin and praise God for that. Without that, the rest doesn't matter, right? But there was so much more encapsulated in that salvation. There's so much more encapsulated when we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. Isaiah 53, 5 says, y'all know this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Let me hit another version real quick. The New Living says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. Somebody say, praise God. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. If you break that scripture down, let's look at it. Put the, the New King James Version back up real quick if you would. It says, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Guys, this is speaking of our spiritual healing. This is speaking of forgiveness of sin. How many of you are thankful? When it says the chastisement of our peace was upon him, this is talking about the emotional healing, healing for our mind. It says, how many of you are thankful for that? Thirdly, it says, and by his stripes... We are healed. And obviously, this refers to healing of the physical body. Now, there's a couple things we got to understand here. But the most important was, how many of you know that these things, these things here, Jesus didn't need spiritual healing. Jesus didn't need emotional healing. Jesus didn't need physical healing. Jesus was whole. Jesus was already innocent. He was already in right standing with God, right? 
He was walking in perfect health. He was perfectly whole, spirit, soul, and body. He walked in perfect peace. He never dealt with guilt or shame. Am I right? But all of mankind dealt with those issues, right? How many of you would say that you've struggled with those issues in your life? Human beings, from day one, when we see the fall of, of man, dealing with separation from God, dealing with rejection, dealing with sickness and disease, dealing with depression and anxiety, dealing with guilt and shame, all these things. So when we, we remember the body and blood of Jesus, and we talk about that salvation, that act that occurred at the cross, how many of you know there was something bigger happening in the spirit than a man being nailed to a cross. Jesus didn't just pay for these things. It's so much bigger. How many of you know that Jesus swapped with us? He took our place. He says, what's mine is yours. And I'm going to take all that junk and I'm going to take it on myself. He swapped places. We deserve those things. And he willingly swapped with us. This is what we call the great exchange. How many of you are familiar with that? The great exchange. Some of you may have noticed, and you can pull it out right quick from your service guide. How many of you noticed a a little card in there that uh, I sure appreciate uh, Zach and Angie ordering for us this week. Zach brought it to my attention, and it's exactly what I was talking about. You guys can take a look at that, or you can read from the screen that this is what it's all about. Jesus, Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven. Wounded. But many times that's all we look at. Jesus was wounded that we might be healed. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness that we might be made righteous with his righteousness. Jesus died our death that we might receive his life. Jesus endured our poverty that we might share his abundance. Jesus bore our shame that we might share his glory. Jesus endured rejection that we might have his acceptance with the Father. Jesus was made a curse that we might enter into his blessing. Jesus was cut off by death that we might be joined to God eternally. Our old man was put to death in him that the new man might come to life in us. This is the great exchange. Jesus willingly carried all of these things for us. This we remember and we celebrate as we remember the body and blood of Jesus. Now, how many of you know that sometimes we carry things that we weren't meant to carry? Is it not true? Is it not true in your physical life? How many times you carry something you're not supposed to carry in real life? You, you take somebody else's issue and problem upon yourself and it just weighs you down and it wasn't yours to carry in the first place. Out of all these things, sometimes we don't want to give stuff up. Sometimes we don't know how to give things up. 
Sometimes we just don't believe. You know, that's why when people say, well, I just don't believe that God heals today. That's okay. God allows us to believe that. Doesn't make you any more or less a follower of Jesus. But you're not going to get healed. (laughs) Right? You're not going to be able to stand in faith for God to heal your physical body or whatever it may be. You're not hurting anybody else, right? You're just choosing to carry something that Jesus carried for you if you choose not to believe it, if you choose not to stand on it. You're choosing to carry something that Jesus carried for you. Isaiah 53, 4 from the Young's translation says, Surely our sickness he has borne and our pains he has carried them. Why would we carry something that Jesus has carried for us? Remember last week I mentioned that Passover is a, was a shadow, is a shadow of the body and blood of Jesus. Remember we were talking about that? Passover, actually we talk about a shadow. What's a shadow? I heard a great example a few weeks ago. Somebody was talking about that. said a shadow is like, say, um, say your spouse goes off to the military, has to go serve overseas. You've probably got pictures up all over the place, and you're going to remember them, and those pictures are a shadow. It's not the real person, right? But it does meet a need in your life. You are looking at that shadow. But on the day that that spouse comes home, are you at that gate at the airport holding that picture? No. You've put that away. Because the real thing's about to walk through the door. Right? So Passover was a shadow of the body and blood of Jesus. And I want us to dig into this for just a minute. I want us to go back to where Passover began. So if, if you got your Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 11, or it'll be there on the screen. How many of you remember, Moses goes into Egypt. The, 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 the Hebrews, they, they've, they've been in captivity, the Egyptians, for, for, for quite a while. Moses goes in, says, let my people go, right? And, Moses, and, and Pharaoh's heart is hardened over and over again. And all these plagues come, right? And um, God tells Moses, there's one last plague coming. And this, will, this is going to do it. And so in Exodus chapter 11, verses 4 and 5, So Moses said, thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even the firstborn of the slave girl, who's behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. This is going to be a rough night. Firstborn of everybody in the land. They're going to die at midnight. So what about God's people? Wait, wait, Lord, we're in the land. What about us? And God says, I got a plan. He had a plan to save his people from that last plague of Egypt. So what does he do? And I, there's, a, there's a lot to this. I don't want to actually read it from Scripture. It'll take us quite a while. But basically, God gives Moses this instruction and tells him that every Hebrew family is to go and they're to slay a lamb, right? And the blood of this lamb is to be sprinkled on the left and the right and the top of the outer doorpost of their family home. And the lamb's blood becomes this supernatural protection 
against the destroyer that's coming at midnight is gonna, and it's gonna, it's gonna slay every firstborn of every house that's not marked. So everybody gets to work finding a lamb, right? Slaying a lamb, putting their blood on the doorpost. Oh, dear Lord, you know, destroyer's coming at midnight. But how many of you know there were further instructions from there? He goes on, God goes on to tell them that they're to get that lamb, and the lamb is to be roasted. So the fire's going to be applied to the lamb. And you know, in Scripture, many times fire represents judgment. Fire is to be applied to the lamb. He's going to be roasted, and uh, from there, well, actually, let me say this. For Christians, it's the blood of Christ that's on our doorpost, the doorpost of our heart. Right, And that blood on the doorpost of our hearts is what gives us life and life eternal, delivering us from death. We apply the body, the, body, the blood, I'm sorry, the blood of Jesus um, to our lives. The lamb's blood applied to the doorpost brought protection from death. But not only were they to roast the lamb, they were to eat it. And there's something more to this. You guys know that when they ate the body of the lamb, you know it brought supernatural healing to their bodies? You know the children of Israel, they left Egypt healed and strong. So, and I'll show you in just a second. But the lamb, the blood, brought protection from death, saved them. The body brought healing to their bodies because they were leaving that same night. Moses told them, be ready. They're not going to tolerate as long after midnight. Every family's going to have somebody dead. They're going to tell us to get out. Psalm 107 verse 105 verse 37 says, it's talking about children of Egypt. Another version says there was no lame. brought them out with silver and gold and there was none feeble among them. Another version says there was no lame among them. But Look again at the scripture. He also brought them out with silver and gold. What does that mean? You know one of the other instructions that God gave the children of Israel? He tells them, put the blood on the doorpost, eat the lamb. He also said, when it's time to go, he said, go to your Egyptian neighbors around you and ask them for their silver and gold, and they will give it to you gladly. Y'all getting this? On the night the destroyer passed through and took the life of every firstborn, the Hebrews were saved, they were healed, and they were prosperous. They had a lot. They had a lot of silver and gold. Remember, remember the golden calf? <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Why? Why were they saved and healed and, and, and oh, Because they obeyed the Lord. It was about the body and the blood of the Lamb. And also, I'll tell you this, something I heard the other day, I haven't been able to back it up and to research it, but I was listening to a message by Joseph Prince, and he said that when they, after they roasted the lamb, they took what was left over of the head and the limbs and the skin, whatever, and that they actually put it on a stake and that there was actually a cross piece that they hung the arms over. If that's not a shadow, I don't know what is. 
1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, So remove every trace of leaven of compromise, of your leaven of compromise with sin, so that you might become new and pure again. For indeed, you are clean because of Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. This is talking about Passover. Guys, Passover was a shadow of our redemption through Christ. We now take communion as a memorial, as a symbol remembering our Passover lamb. The lamb's blood on the doorpost stopped the destroyer from taking one single life of the Hebrews. The roasted lamb brought physical healing to an entire nation in one night. There's not one, there was not one lame among them. The body and blood of an earthly lamb, if the body and blood of an earthly lamb was able to stop the destroyer, how much more can the body and blood of Jesus protect us and make us complete in our spirit, soul, and body? Now, if we can easily accept by faith that Jesus died to forgive our sins, why should it be difficult for us to accept the fact that he wants to heal us also? Heal our bodies, heal us emotionally, to prosper us in life? Why should that be difficult? Y'all, some of y'all know of, uh, some of y'all know of Smith Wigglesworth. He was an early Pentecostal preacher known for his faith, all the miracles, signs, and wonders that followed his ministry. And we know that at 87, Smith Wigglesworth passed away during a church service. And all the recordings of it say that he basically closed his eyes during that service and gave up his ghost, and he was gone. Man, that's the way I want to go. Come on. But you know one thing that Smith Wigglesworth was known for, besides the healings and miracles, the signs and wonders? He was known for taking communion every single day of his life. Now, well, I'll get back to that in a minute, but sometimes we get caught up in tradition. Sometimes we get caught up in what we've been taught. But guys, as I said last week, you can take the Lord's Supper. You can remember the body and blood of Jesus whenever you want to. Nowhere in Scripture does it mention that you, it has to be a priest or an ordained minister you know, who, who gives us the bread and the cup. We see in Acts chapter 2, the church was meeting. They were meeting every day from home to home, and they were observing the Lord's Supper together. And really, the Bible says that we are all, all now priests unto God anyway. 1 Peter 2, 5, Come and be his living stones who are continually being assembled into a sanctuary for God. For now you serve as holy priests. Say, I'm a priest. Offering up spiritual sacrifices that he readily accepts through Jesus Christ. We can take communion at any time remembering and honoring our Passover lamb. And we can expect the same things that happened with the Hebrews. We can expect the same things in our lives and more. When we take the body and blood of Jesus, we should stir up our faith and we should expect what his word says. We should expect when we observe that body and blood we should, and the price that was paid, we should observe, we should remember everything that was paid for in that price. We've got to understand that communion in and of itself is not a magic formula. It's not an aspirin that you take for a headache. You know what it is when you take it? It's a bland piece of bread and a sip of juice. But it's about your heart. It's about your heart position. 
We should always receive it in faith and not in unbelief. We got to also make sure that it doesn't become routine. Well, some people would say, well, when I'm, when I'm believing God for something, you mean I ought to take communion? Yeah, absolutely. You're standing and trusting God for something in your life, for something His Word says? Absolutely. Stop. Take of the Lord's Supper. Remember the body and the blood. It's the answer anyway. Some people would say, well, I, I, I'm not worthy. We talked about this for a minute last week. I was thinking, if a person feels they're not worthy to receive communion, why would they feel that they're worthy to be accepted into heaven when their life ends? Does this make sense? If we question, if we can sit there and question, am I, am I worthy to take of the body and blood of Jesus? Am I, that would be my answer. Then, then do you feel you're worthy into, into heaven when this all ends? If we're in the family of God, if we've surrendered our lives to the lordship of Jesus, then we're worthy and we're invited to the table to receive. Some would say, but there's an area of sin in my life that I'm struggling with. Well, deal with it. Deal with it. You're still worthy. If you belong to Jesus, if your life is surrendered to him, take it. Some might say, well, what, 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 what if there's a habitual sin in my life that I'm, I'm dealing with, that I'm going round and round with? Deal with it. Take communion to help deal with it. <laughs> You're worthy. If you think an act, if you think a sin you committed this week can keep you from being worthy, keep you from being able to take the body and blood of Jesus, keep you from being able to go to heaven, you, you've missed the whole point. Then none of us are worthy. We've all jacked it up in the past week. Most of us probably this morning. We're worthy. As followers of Jesus, we are worthy. But let me say this. We are still told to examine ourselves. What's the purpose of this examination? I got a couple things I want to mention there. I think they're in your notes. Purpose of the examination. One, we got to make sure we're in the faith. Have you truly surrendered your heart to Jesus? Can Jesus be found in you? 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. This is what Paul's talking about when he's talking about being worthy. Secondly, we need to make sure that there's no hidden sin in our heart. Hebrews 12, 1 says, lay aside every weight and sin that ensnares us. Thirdly, we've got to make sure that we're in proper relationship with the family of God. The thing, 1 John 3, 23 says to love one another. But here's the thing. We examine ourselves not because we're taking a piece of bread and drinking a little sip of juice. We examine ourselves because we love the Lord. We examine ourselves because we honor Him. We're trying to live a life that honors Him. You should expect God to move in your life as you remember the body and blood of Jesus because you're worthy. You're made worthy because of Jesus. Our personal relationship with Christ makes us worthy to take communion. A person without a relationship with Christ needs to repent. Repent of their sins, confess Jesus as Lord before taking of the body and the blood. 
Communion is a token. It's a sign that you've committed your life to Christ. His blood has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Before I close, I'm going to give you uh, four things real quick. And this actually comes from a, a book written by um, uh, Perry Stone, a book called The Meal That Heals. And it's, I, I definitely recommend it. But four steps to take when receiving the Lord's Supper. I thought this was really great. Number one is look inward. When you stop, you're going to take communion. Look inward. The Bible says, but let a man examine himself. What, what does that mean to exam? Ex exam means to reach a result from an inquiry. Is there something in your life that would grieve the Lord? Is there a bondage or hidden sin that you're struggling with? Look inward. Make that inquiry. If the answer is yes, guys, it's as simple as repent. Turn from it. So number one, look inward. Number two, look outward. And I'm going to read this to you real quick. Matthew 5, uh, 23 and 24 from the Passion Translation. It says, so then, if you're presenting a gift before the altar in the temple, and suddenly you remember you have a quarrel with a fellow believer, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go at once to apologize with the one who is offended. Then, after you have reconciled, come to the altar to present your gift. What are we presenting at the altar? Our lives. That's what we bring to the altar, right? We have nothing of value. We have empty hands that we come before the Lord with. All we have, the most value we have is right here. It's us. So we've got to look outward. Do you have a sin? Do you have a, do you have a, a quarrel with somebody else? Whatever it may be, make it right. And here's the thing. Reconciliation is the theme of the new covenant anyway, right? We know this. If we're forgiven... We, we must forgive. And that right? ourselves, if we think we're reconciled, but we're not willing to reconcile ourselves, aren't we missing the whole point? By the way, guys, you can stand. You can believe for something all day long. You can pray for healing all day long. You can take communion every day. But if you're walking in unforgiveness and strife, don't expect much. We need to examine ourselves. Number three is look upward. How many of you guys know God gets all the glory and the honor for everything? As we take communion, we should be meditating on the goodness of God and his mercy toward us. Thank God for his mercy. We talked about that last week. Mercy is us not getting what we deserve. Guys, I don't deserve much good. Somebody laid down their life for me anyway. You've got to remember Jesus and his redemptive work at the cross, recognizing that he suffered on our behalf, and that we, because of that, we have a threefold atonement spirit, soul, and body. And God gets all the glory. The last thing, number four, he mentioned was look onward. We should focus onward, expecting God's promises in our lives, expecting to fulfill every assignment that God has for us. That, all, that we would live out all the days that he's allotted to us, that through the great exchange we could truly be the hands and feet of Jesus every day that there's breath in our lungs, looking onward to what God has next as we step forward. As when taking the Lord's Supper, we're remembering his body and blood. We're remembering the price that was paid. We're remembering the great exchange. We're thankful for salvation, but that we got to, we've got to remember that salvation is more than forgiveness of sin. It's more than just this spiritual act. 
It's threefold. It's spirit, soul, and body. If we stand on this when we're remembering the body and the blood of Jesus, we'll see his hand in our life like never before. We are going to... We are going to take communion one more time, uh, just like we did last week. And let me just ask, has everybody got the communion elements? If you don't, lift up your hands real quick. Lift them up high. Ushers are coming down with those now. If you don't have, if you don't have the communion elements. Got one up here. Let's hit Pastor Bob. Santa. All right, you can just kind of set that down beside you for just a moment. But the first thing I want to do, just like we did last week, first thing we need to do is determine if you surrendered your life. Have you been invited to the table? Yes, you've been invited to the table. So have you repented, surrendered your life to Jesus? And can Jesus be found in you? Let's stand up together. No, actually, I don't have one. Yeah, that would be great. Thanks. I want everybody to bow their heads for just a moment. We're going to take communion. But the question is, can Jesus be found in you? Have you repented of your sins? Have you surrendered your life and yielded your life to Jesus? Have you accepted him as your Passover lamb? Are you, are you ready to recognize his body and blood as your salvation and your redemption? Again, with every head bowed, if you're here and you would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today, I want you to lift up your hand and say, yes, I need to make things right. Who in here would say, yeah, who else? Guys, you may have prayed a prayer before. This is not about a prayer. Is your life surrendered to Jesus? Can Jesus be found in you? If Jesus is found in you, then you're worthy. You're worthy to partake of the body and blood. You're worthy to come before God's throne. You're worthy to be called his very own. Is there anybody else in here that say, would say, I need to get things right today? I recognize that my life isn't surrendered. Anybody else? Lift your hand. All right, we're going to pray a prayer. Like I said, it's not about the prayer. But listen, if you mean these words, and it comes from your heart, then God will do a miraculous work in the Spirit. It says that He makes you a new creation. He doesn't just make you better. He starts over from scratch, and He makes you a brand new creation. He doesn't see your sin and your failings anymore. He sees Jesus. We're going to all pray this together. Everybody just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the price that was paid. The life that was willingly laid down on my behalf. Jesus, I thank you for taking my sin and my shame, my sickness, my disease, depression, my anxieties. You took it all. You chose to carry it for me. 
So today, I make you my Passover lamb. I recognize you as my savior. You are my redeemer. You are who you said you were. You are who you say you are. Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me to live this Christian life. Be everything you've called me to be. I'll follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Guys, if you prayed that prayer in a minute with all your heart, you are worthy. You are invited to come to the table. It's that surrender. It's that repentance of the old man, of the old life. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion together. But I want you to do a couple of things. One, I want you to meditate on what we've been talking about. I don't know about you, but sometimes it helps me to get a mental picture in my mind. I want you to begin to picture the price that was paid. I want you to allow yourself to feel the weight of this matter. Next thing I want you to do is I want you to remember the great exchange. We're going to put those back up on the screen. Guys, these are the things that Jesus carried for you. If there's something that you're carrying that Jesus has already willingly carried for you, I want you right now to be prepared to let it go. Guys, freedom can be absolutely yours right now if you position your heart right and you're willing to let go. Everything that God needs to do in your life, He can come in and He can touch you right now in a moment. What of that do you find in your life? We're about to take communion together, but I want you to remember that He exchanged His life for yours. He saw your sins. He saw your failings. He saw your anxieties. He saw your hurts. He saw your rejection. He saw your pride. And he came in and said, hey, let me, let me, let me take that for you. And he gave us his perfect peace. He washed as white as snow, just like he was. He swapped with us. you've been carrying sickness, be prepared to let it go. Begin stirring up your faith now and believe as you remember the body and blood of Jesus that that thing will go. Maybe you're struggling financially. Well, firstly, I would encourage you to be a good steward of what God has given you to handle. But secondly, let's come against the curse of poverty. Because Jesus endured our poverty that we might share his abundance. Jesus carried it all. Prepare your heart before we take communion and believe that that will be broken. As I said earlier, maybe you have a child or a loved one. 
that you're praying for to come back to the Lord. Guys, when you get saved, a biblical case can be made for household salvation. Your kids are supposed to follow the Lord along with you. Jesus took your kids' sin and began to claim that and begin to call them back. I want everybody, just, just close your eyes for just a moment. We're going to sing the song we sang last week. We're going to sing it one more time, and we're going to press in for just a minute. But I want you to figure out, before we take communion together, what is it that you're carrying that Jesus has already carried for you? What is the weight that you're choosing to carry yourself that you shouldn't be carrying? Where's the area that you should be free because Jesus has already paid the price and carried it? As we take together in just a couple minutes, I want you to have that thing in mind. And I want you to say it. If it's a sickness in your body, as we take the bread, and as we take the cup, I want you to remember it. I want you to say it to yourself. Lord, I, I, I give this to you. I heard somebody the other day talking. Uh, I, I just heard somebody saying something about how them seasonal allergies are hitting. They hadn't gotten bad yet, but I know it's coming. Oh, man. No. Jesus took our sickness. We don't have to walk in all that mess. If that's what it is for you, then get it in your mind, in your heart, and get ready to release it. You prepare yourself and you're ready. Does everybody have something in mind? Are you ready to let it go? If you feel so comfortable, I, I, just, I just invite you guys, we sing this song. Most of you will know it. I just invite you to just lift up your hands. We lift up our hands as a sign of surrender. Not because God's forcing us to. We surrender because we love him. We say, God, all, we have is, all I have is yours. You own it all anyway. I give all those things to you that I've tried to hold on to so tightly. We lift our hands and surrender. So we sing this song. Let's press in for a minute. Let's allow him to do his work.
guys to take the blood and the, the juice and the bread. Let's, let's hold them up together. And I'm going to have you guys, if y'all just bear with me for just another minute or two. I told you guys last week that I had, a number of weeks ago, I started, I started taking communion every morning. That's the way I started my day. And um, I told you about Perry Stone's book, The Meal That Heals. And at the end of it, he's got, he's got a communion prayer. And, uh, and what I've done is I've started praying that every day before I take of the body and the blood. And so before we take this, I want us to pray this together. So I don't have it for the screen, but I'm just going to have you guys, I'm going to have you guys repeat after me as you hold the, the bread and the, and the juice. Everybody just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to redeem mankind. I thank you that through Christ's suffering, he purchased a threefold redemption for my spirit, mind, and body. Today I ask that you bless this bread that represents the body of Christ. Bless the fruit of the vine that represents the precious blood of Christ. Father, as you have forgiven me, so I forgive those who have sinned against me. Lord, I forgive and release anyone who has wronged me. And I ask you, search my spirit and remove any trace of sin or disobedience prison. Anyone who has hurt me in any way. And I ask that you would help them spiritually and bless them. Father, as I receive this communion, I ask you to bring strength and health to me spiritually, emotionally, and physically because of the new covenant that was sealed through the sufferings of Christ. Father, Jesus carried my infirmities. Therefore, I ask you to lift from me what Jesus has carried for me. I receive it by faith and I give you all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Now y'all say this, Lord, as I remember the body and blood of Jesus, I receive freedom. I receive healing. I receive prosperity. I receive blessing by faith in my life now. In Jesus' name. Let's hold up the bread together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and we'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before we take this bread, I want you to picture for a moment Jesus' body broken and torn as your Passover lamb. That the destroyer, he couldn't have you. Death couldn't take you in the end. Sacrifice was so complete that it covers your sin, your guilt, your shame once and forever. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body broken for us. Let's all take it together. And then in verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Picture again the broken body of Jesus. Picture his blood spilled out for you. A blood that calls you innocent and free. We thank you for it, Lord. Let's all take it together. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.